Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC, and we've got plenty, plenty of UFC to talk about today, and even though there's not an event coming up this weekend, this rare occurrence where the UFC doesn't have an event on a Saturday, I still compiled a bunch of recent MMA UFC news that's gone down. We're going to be revisiting some past UFC years, looking at some lists and stuff. It's going to be a fun, fun episode. Also, on today's episode, we will be dropping my NFL conference game predictions. There's two games going down Sunday, January 28th. So we'll be analyzing those, including finding some fun facts. We have a bunch of new coach hirings in the NFL. We'll talk about so much UFC news, as I have uh, mentioned. We're going to be looking at the MMA uh, top 50, 1 through 50 uh, rankings for the uh, upcoming year of 2024. Of course, ESPN always releases that. We're also going to be revisiting my time that I've been watching UFC starting from 2019 and going until up until now, actually. So for the next like three episodes or so, we'll be revisiting past. Years and for this episode, we'll be revisiting the year of 2019 where I first got into the UFC. So, we'll kind of talk about when I first started watching up until now. That'll be fun. A bunch of new UFC 300 news, um, a new trailer for a movie Conor McGregor and Jake Dillenhall are in. We've got a bunch of stuff to talk about today. The weekend looms, the weekend looms, everyone. It's going to be a pretty warm warm weekend here in Minnesota. I mean, 30s and 40s is actually pretty warm for us. I'm um, going to see the fam, going to see my girlfriend. Gonna, we're going to make it a good time this upcoming weekend. But um, let's not waste any more time. Let's jump right into the episode. And kicking us off, we are going to look at the UFC rankings because the UFC rankings have updated since UFC 297 went down. And we have some interesting changes that took place. We'll start down at Women's Bantamweight where, of course, we have the new champion, Hawkwayel Pennington. Um, everyone else pretty much moved up a bit. And the new ad into the division is Melissa Dixon. Don't really know too much about Melissa Dixon, now ranked number 15. Uh, she's 6-0. and Three wins by knockout, all three of those in the first round. Last uh, last beat, Alexiva, Irina Alexiva, October 14th. So good for you, Melissa. You're now in the rankings. How about Pennington? It'll be interesting to see who she did defends her belt against. Of course, Julia Pena is a favorite, but there is a woman's bantamweight bout going down at UFC 300, which we will get to in just a second. Um, in the women's flyweight rankings, Jasmine Jesu-Davicious is now ranked number 15 after her outstanding performance at UFC 290 where she outlanded Priscilla Cachuea by 300 strikes, 326 to 26 strikes. Absolutely insane. At women's strawweight, uh, Carla Sparza taken off the rankings, which is actually pretty hilarious because I said Carla Sparza would have the biggest fall off this year and on our one of our past episodes, and she was taken out of the rankings. And moving on at number 15 is Jillian Robertson, who had a dominating victory at UFC 297. Happy to see both of the Canadian women coming on the rankings at number 15. And with that, Jan Cheonen is now officially the number one contender in the division as she prepares for her UFC 300 title shot attempt at Zhang. Wei Li. 
In the women's pound-for-pound rankings, Mara Bueno Silva is now on at 15, which doesn't really make sense, being that she lost. Um, Irene Aldana, Kelton Vera, Amanda Lemos all bumping up a spot. Tatiana Suarez up to 9. Tatiana Suarez passed Jan Cheonen in the women's pound-for-pound from 9 to 10, despite being below her in their actual divisional rankings. Very odd. Hawkwell Penton moves up five spots. She's now the number seven woman in the pound-for-pound rankings. And Erin Blanchfield passes Julia Pena from five to four. So Erin Blanchfield is technically the number four woman in the world. How about that? The women's pound-for-pound rankings, um, just about as bad as the men's pound-for-pound rankings. At middleweight, Driscus Duplessis, of course, is your new champion, moving Sean Strickland to the number one spot. And Itchalada Sanya is now listed as the number two contender in the division. That is very wild to see. Chris Curtis passing Anthony Hernandez from 14 to 13. Anthony Hernandez actually has a fight coming up against Roman Kopilov. It'll be interesting to see how that goes down at UFC 298. At welterweight, Neil Magny passes Kevin Holland. Good stuff for Neil and... Some people are bringing up that uh, of a potential opponent that Neil could fight again, and that could be Ian Machado Gary. Uh, I don't see that going down, but um, yeah, Neil Magny, I say we give him someone like Vicente Luque, someone like that, someone fun. Actually, the win- does is Vicente Luque fighting Sean Brady, maybe the loser of that. MN's featherweight, Iotopira, is now ranked number three. Brian Ortega is ranked number four. And Mosvarevlov moving up four spots to number five. Arnold Allen now ranked six in the division. Mosvarevlov, I mean, he, he should probably fight the winner of Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez. If the winner or loser, the winner makes more sense if we're going to be talking about title shot opportunities. But you know what? I'm happy for the undefeated Russian. And our last update is in the men's pound-for-pound pound rankings as Duplessis, your new middleweight champion, debuts at number eight. Number eight in the uh, men's power front rankings. Pantoa, your current flyweight champion. Now at nine, Israel Asang at 10, and Sean Strickland dropping down 11 spots. Pretty uh, pretty fascinating. Sean Strickland is, um, you know what? I don't know what he's going to do next. He's got a lot of options, but being in the power front rankings, it's certainly odd to see. You know, I get I get that all champions are ranked in the pound for pound, but it just kind of it does it's just kind of odd to look at and see that yeah, Sean Strickland is ranked in the men's pound for pound. I uh, just I don't know. No, I don't, not that I want to knock off of him, but I mean I don't know if I would personally put him in the men's pound for pound rankings. Um, before we get into uh, the rest of our UFC news, uh, we're actually going to uh, look at some other things because we have a lot of UFC. A lot of UFC, and I got to break it up because our main event for this episode will be my conference game prediction. So, of course, on every episode, we go and we look at the 48 Laws of Power, a book I've been reading. I, I set the goal to finish this book by the end of January. I don't think, I do not think that I'm going to get there, but we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, we read some new laws in the book, of course, so uh, let's take a look at what as uh, what new laws we have read in regards to the 48 Laws of Power, how to obtain power. Um, We'll start off with uh, Law 13, 14, 15, and 16. I think I've read four laws in the time since we last met, so let's get into it. So Law number 13 states, when asking for help, appeal to people's self-interest, 
never to their mercy or gratitude. This is a very interesting statement because if you think a lot of people don't really want to just outright help you, there always has to be an incentive for them unless they're like a family member or a very close friend. But when you're asking someone you're somewhat close to, they, they aren't really going to do something personal to help you. So here's what it says. If you need to turn to an ally for help, do not bother to remind him of your past assistant and assistance and good deeds. He will find a way to ignore you. Instead, uncover something in your request or in your alliance with him that will benefit him and emphasize it out of all proportion. He will respond enthusiastically when he sees something to be gained for himself. I very much, uh, I think this is a very good thing to live by. I mean, it's very hard to get someone to assist you with something when you know that they probably don't want to. And if you say, oh, well, guess what? I did this for you a while ago. Well, then they just, they don't really want to do it. You're almost guilting them into assisting you. You should want them to do it. So imagine this, a cord that binds. The cord of mercy and gratitude is threadbare and will break at the first shock. Do not throw such a lifeline. The cord of mutual self-interest is woven of many fibers and cannot easily be severed. It will serve you well for years. The shortest and best way to make your fortune is to let people see clearly that it is in their interest to promote yours. I mean, think about the UFC, for example. I mean, you don't really want to push a guy that you don't want to support. All right, so it's easier it's easier to gain fame in a sport if you have people sort of rooting for you. In any case, I don't know if that really directly relates, but that's kind of my analogy to it, but that certainly was fascinating. Law 14, moving on, says, Pose as a friend, work as a spy. Knowing about your rival is critical. Use spies to gather valuable information that will keep you a step ahead. Better still, play this by yourself. In polite social encounters, learn to probe. Ask indirect questions to get people to reveal their weaknesses and intentions. There is no occasion that is not an opportunity for artful spying. Mm, I find this one fascinating. Personally, someone who, uh, I don't really want to say I gossip, but I certainly can be gabby at times. I'm like the like the neighborhood moms going for their morning walk, you know, talking about all the, all the drama in the neighborhood. That's kind of me when I'm talking to people. But if I ever do have interest, I feel like I could uh, I could always find someone that can find out information for me. You know, I can be I can be crafty, crafty like that, you know. Uh, however, it does kind of feel malicious at times, you know, trying to use someone else to find out information for yourself. But I mean, at the same time, I mean, this is all about obtaining power. So when I rule the world, I'll be using these laws. I'm obviously joking. Obviously joking. Um, this one, this law, absolutely wild. I, I don't think I shared these ones. Because I'm trying to remember. This this one was absolutely crazy. Um, I don't think I shared this one. I feel like I did, but I don't think I did. Law number 15, crush your enemy totally. All great leaders since Moses have known that a feared enemy must be crushed completely. Sometimes they have learned this the hard way. If one ember is left alight, no matter how dimly it smolders, a fire will eventually break out. More is lost through stopping halfway than through total annihilation. The enemy will recover and seek revenge, crush him, not only in body, but in spirit. I remember the one uh, that I shared last time. It was like not associating with like sad people. This one, this one's absolutely crazy. I mean, it tells the story of, in Chinese history, between two two leaders, um, Hyun Sung Yu and Lu Peiyang, and they used to be childhood friends. They grew up together, but they eventually became enemies. And there were many a times that... I believe it was, um, who was it? His song, his song um, was urged to kill, was urged to kill um, Liu Pang, but always resisted, even when he had him, because it was an old friend. And eventually, you know, after many, many times, 
uh, he uh, was um, after capturing him and keep letting him go. Eventually, he was captured, and it was decided that he was to be killed. But when they went to kill him, he managed to escape, and everyone was tailing on him. And what he did is he went to a member of some random random army and said, "They want to kill me for um." Actually, let me read here. Uh, Making a false treaty, he lured Husong into relaxing his defense, then slaughtered almost all of his army. Husong managed to escape alone and on foot, knowing that Lu had put a bounty on his head. He came upon a small group of his own retreating soldiers and cried out, I hear Lu Pang has offered 1,000 pieces of gold and a fief of 10,000 families for my head. Let me do you a favor. And he slit his own throat and died. That, that's pretty deep. That's pretty intense. But, um, I mean, think, think about this. A viper crushed beneath your foot but left alive will rear up and bite you with a double dose of venom. An enemy that is left around is like a half-dead viper that you nurse back to health. Time makes the venom grow stronger. You know, I don't really have too many enemies that I need to crush, but if I ever engage with an enemy, I'll make sure to I'll make sure to absolutely destroy them. Well, how about that? That's, wow, people are, people are gonna think I'm a, I'm a like a, a what is it, a psychopath or something? I don't really know all the terminology, but I just like reading books. And the last law I read, I believe yesterday, use absence to increase respect and honor. I mean, this one's pretty straightforward. And this can really be applied to uh, uh, trying to get a girl, trying to get a guy. You know, if you hang around someone too often, you know, they can, they may kind of get sick with you. You kind of got to play a little, little like a uh, little fish game. You know, you kind of tug on the line a bit. You know, you can't just, uh, the fish isn't going to take the bite right away. So it kind of talks about like not always being around, not always being present, you know, making sure that you kind of create some uh, an atmosphere about yourself by stepping away from a bit people are kind of like wait where is that person where is he where is she i want them back and that's how you kind of get people to want more of you but you know if you step away too long you, you might not uh, end up being pushed away so it's all about the balance it's all about the balance that you create by how you do stuff this book's been very good i very much encourage everyone to read it i'd like like 30 more laws, though. I do not think I'm going to be getting through all those laws. But um, let's check out uh, something we haven't looked at in a while, which is the NBA and NHL standings. I mean, it's been a minute. I feel like it's been a full week. I feel like it is definitely been a full week since we last checked in with uh, all the uh, leagues, saw, seeing what was going on. But uh, in the NBA, I mean, I saw the other night Carl Anthony Towns dropped 62 points. Joel Embiid dropped 70. I've seen clips of Victor Wembanyama and Chet Holmgren battling it out. I mean, it is, it has been a pretty crazy season in the NBA, and I've been watching pretty much just through Instagram clips and stuff. In the Eastern Conference, Celtics still the top team, 34 and 10, 21 at home. They did lose at home. They are seven to three. Their last 10 though on a two-game win streak. Bucks, who I saw fired their head coach, actually hired Doc Rivers, I believe, signing him to like a big deal. They are second in the Eastern Conference, 31 and 13 on a three-game win streak. They're 24 at home, which honestly isn't too bad. 76ers in third are on a six-game winning streak, sitting at 29 and 13. Very good stuff there. Knicks in fifth are on a four-game win streak. Heat in sixth, four-game losing streak. And actually, this is absolutely wild. The Heat, Pacers, Magic, Bulls, Hawks, Nets, Raptors, Hornets, and Wizards, so the 14, six to 14 ranked teams are all on a losing streak. That is absolutely wild to me. Wizards are on a five-game losing streak, 14th in the East, and the Pistons actually got a win the other night. They're 2-8 and eight their last 10 Five and thirty-nine on the year. They might not end up being the worst team in history, despite saying the record for most straight losses. How about that? 
Any early predictions I could give? There really isn't any. I don't really have any. Celtics definitely the favorite. Lillard, Lillard and Giannis got to be the favorite with the Bucks. Uh, sleeper team, maybe. I don't really have a sleeper team. Maybe the Cavs. Cavs are sitting at four seed. In the West, oh my goodness, what's happened, guys? Guys, some something's happened. The Thunder are now the number one team in the Western Conference. They and the Timberwolves are both 31 and 13, so they're tied. But I think Thunder own a tiebreaker over the Timberwolves. So Timberwolves are the number two seed in the West. Thunder are uh, on a four-game win streak. Timberwolves coming off a win the other night. Nuggets in third, 31 and 14. They're on a three-game win streak. Clippers on a three-game win streak, 28-14. And the Suns, 26-18, seven-game win streak. Very impressive stuff there. Pelicans are up to six. Kings at seven. Mavericks on a three-game losing streak have fallen down to the number eight spot. Lakers, 22-23 record. Uh, LeBron, what's going on there? Spurs, still the worst team, 8-36, 3-7 in the last 10. Trailblazers, 13-31 at 14. The Warriors are the number 12 team in the West, 19-22 record. Wow. I actually have a negative home record, 11 and 17. Ooh, nasty. Wait, that's our conference record. At home, the Warriors are 12 and 11. Still not that good. NBA continues to roll on this season, but my oh my, I mean, just a lot of crazy stuff going on. Why are the Timberwolves not the number one team? Why is that the case? I don't know. Someone needs to explain it to me in Fortnite terms. Checking briefly on the NHL, NHL land. Bruins are 29-9-9, uh, and nine, have 67 points. They're the number one team in the Eastern Conference. Number two team is the Panthers with 62 points. They have a 29-14-4 record. Very nice there. Only other team with 60 points is the Rangers with 61 they're atop their division, 29-15 and 3 record. They've only lost in overtime 3 times. Um, nothing nothing really else to point out here. I mean, Senators are 18-24 and 1 and Blue Jackets are 14-23 and 9, both with 37 points. So really the Eastern Conference isn't too bad. Um no one's really on too much of a win streak or a losing streak. I don't really have much to say. I do know that uh, I need to bring on Cole and Jaden. I was hoping to get him on this week. We all were busy. So hopefully next week they can come on and we can get some more perspectives on the NHL world. Best team in the league, though, in the Western Conference is the 32-11-5 with 69 points. The Canucks, 58-point differential, 2 plus 58. They're 8-0-2 their last 10. They've been doing good. Oilers. 10-0 their last 10. They're on a 14-game win streak. Wow, 27-15-1. They got 55 points. Golden Knights, 62 points. They got 20-14-6 record. They're doing pretty good. Avalanche and Jets both have 65 points. 30-11-5 record for the Jets. Avalanche are 31-14-3. Blackhawks, are they the worst team in the league? Are the Blackhawks the worst team? They're tied with the Sharks, both with 30 points. But uh, Sharks have one less loss. Or let one less win than them. Sharks are 13, 31, and 4, minus 90 point differential. Blackhawks are 14, 32, and 3. 14, 32, and 3, yes. 14 wins, 32 losses, 2 overtime losses, minus 68 point differential. Yikes. The Wild, the only team I care about, are 21 and 21 and 5. 5 overtime losses, 21 wins, 21 normal, uh, normal, was it? Normal time losses, however you want to phrase it. They're on a 3 game win streak, though. How about that? Still have a minus 15-point differential. Wow. 
Yikes. Yikes. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I haven't been paying too much attention to the leagues since we started doing this um, every other, or every, just once a week, not every episode. We check on the rankings. So it's always fascinating to see what's, uh, what's been going on in the, uh, in the world of uh, NHL and NBA. But let's go over all of our uh, UFC information. I've accumulated a lot. This is going to be uh, pretty pretty hectic. I mean, usually I acquire a couple couple facts, but we have got oh so many. Let's talk about them all, and then we'll end it out actually with uh, talking about or not the whole episode, but just this uh, little segment with going over uh, what fights could also be added to UFC 300. So, for starters, we have a little a uh, little chill one here, a little chill one here as Jermaine Durandamy will be returning to the women's bantamweight division to take on Norma Dumont on April 6. Jermaine Durandamy um, used to be in the top 10 or top top three actually she was one or two in the women's bantamweight division actually picked up a win over julia pena last time out before going on a high eight is she'll make a two-year return against the number what's norma up to now norma dumont is currently ranked 11th in the division happy to see jermaine returning norma's on a little two-fight win streak i believe is she Maybe she's on more. Maybe Norma's on little little three-fight win streak for Norma Dumont. How about that? Only loss is a split decision to Macy Chison, who's actually ranked above her. So, yeah, a little five-and-one record in the UFC. That's not too shabby, Norma. But um, Jermaine Durandamy uh, was hoping that she would make it on the Paris card, but sadly she did not the past two years. She um, actually fought, we'll probably bring this up later, she fought Amanda Nunes at UFC 245. In December of 2019, I actually watched that live, and uh, it wasn't the most exciting fight. But um, Jermaine Duran to me, happy to have you back. Norma Dumont, actually, I think I predicted her to have the biggest rise in the division. So if she gets a win over Jermaine Duran to me, that would be pretty, pretty big. The UFC Saudi Arabia card has a date for its fight night, and it is on June 22nd. There, of course, will not be a title fight on the card. It is rumored about who will main event in. No one really knows yet, but it is pretty interesting to see the UFC uh, just kind of keeping it low-key compared to the PFL, compared to Bellator, compared to boxing, where they try and put on huge spectacles in Saudi Arabia. Dana White's treating it very, very chill. A huge fight added to UFC 300. You, This was not anyone's bingo card, I guarantee, as Kayla Harrison will be joining the UFC to take on Holly Holm. This is a massive, massive fight. This will be Holly Holm's first fight since July of last year when she lost to Myra Bueno Silva. And this will be Kayla Harrison's first fight in the UFC. Um, she, of course, is 16-1, former, uh, I believe, wrestler wrestler was or she a boxer i don't know what she was kickboxer muay thai whatever she's an excellent mixed martial artist former pfl champion dominated their lightweight division dominated their featherweight division and man it'll be it'll be interesting to see that fight go down definitely gonna be on the prelims of ufc 300 and she was rumored to be taking on chris cyborg in a bout for the pfl on bellator that did not go down she instead chose the ufc route i'll be happy to have her man i'm happy to have you that is that is absolutely crazy that is that's is absolutely crazy i i was not thinking she would be on this card and you know what having her on here i'm happy to see it um, moving along to another UFC 300 announcement as we get some ranked featherweight action going down. Number 12 ranked Sodi Yusuf will take on the outstanding, the hottest prospect right now in the UFC, Diego Lopez. Of course, Diego Lopez 
debuted last year um, in May against Mosvar Evlov, who we just watched, AFC 297, by the way, and took him through a war first fight in the UFC against the number top 10 guy, now the number 5 guy. Um, took him to a fight of the night decision, threw up some tough submissions on him, and then came back in August of last year and submitted Gavin Tucker with a triangle armbar in just about a minute and a half, comes back later in November at UFC 295 and knocks out Pat Sabatini in a minute and a half. Three fights in the UFC. He's made 150K in performance bonuses. Diego Lopez is a must, a must-see athlete. I, I mean, he is, he's legit. He's legit as they come, and he kind of just come out of nowhere, if I'm being honest. He, he was kind of, I don't really want to say irrelevant. He wasn't relevant, but I mean, you know, he joins on short notice, puts on a banger of a fight against Molesfar, comes back his next two, gets quick finishes, and the UFC is rewarding him. Huge fan favorite, too. So excited to see Diego Lopez. His opponent, Sodiq Yusuf, is coming off one of my favorite fights of the year against Edson Barbosa. It was a fight of the night. Sodiq, I mean, incredible record. He's 13-3. and three. Uh, in the UFC, I believe he is 6-2. and two. Losses are to Edson Barbosa and Arnold Allen by decision. Guy is absolutely talented. Happy to see both of those guys come back. And I like both of them, so it kind of sucks. It, it really does kind of suck that I'm going to have to watch one of them lose. But that's the price I pay. That's the price I pay for being a fan of many, many UFC fighters. But happy to uh, happy to just have back, have back those fighters. Some unfortunate news. Some unfortunate news. Um, the March 30th Atlantic City bout between Carlos Ulberg and Dominic Reyes, two top 15 light heavyweights. Uh, Dominic is 14. Carlos was unranked. Uh, but is on an absolute tear. That fight's off. Dominic Reyes is injured. So stepping into fight, Carlos Ulberg will actually be ranked number 12, so actually two spots higher than Dominic Reyes, Alonzo Menafield. Huh. How about that? I'm trying to find the stats for Carlos Ulberg. I mean, dude's, dude's absolutely crazy. Here he is. Carlos Ulberg, 10-1 um, record. He's on a five-fight win streak. Last four fights, he's finished. Um, dude is absolutely so crazy. Fights out of the same camp. He's, uh, as a, what is it? Volkanovsky, uh, sorry, from city kickboxing or whatever. Dude's wild. Dude, dude is a wild fighter. Love watching him fight. And, um, you know, I was hoping he'd knock out Dominic Reyes. Uh, that will not be the case instead. He'll be taking on Alonzo Menfield. who's on a five-fight unbeaten streak, two-fight win streak. Coming off a huge fight against Dustin Jacoby at UFC 296. Alonzo, thank you so much for stepping in on short notice. I appreciate it very, very much. Alonzo Menafield actually holds, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven first-round finishes in the UFC. Two of those are actually on the Contender Series. He's on the Contender Series twice. Got wins in both of those fights. Happy to see him coming back. Um, and women's straw weight, I believe women's flyweight, I don't know what division it's in, I believe it's women's flyweight, uh, Joanne Wood is back to take on Marina Moroz, Marina Moroz of actually Ukraine descent, I'll be happy to see her fight, Joanne Wood from Scotland, I think it is, is Joanne Wood from Scotland, I don't know, just an interesting fight going down on UFC 299 on the prelims, you know, we're always happy to, we're always happy to look at some prelim fights that are going, going down. UFC 300 is currently at 10 of 14 confirmed fights for the card. I say 14 because that is usually how many fights they max out on a UFC card. 
and I've just been I've been kind of speculating about what's gonna be what's gonna be going down uh, with that card. So actually, you no know, one one more fight I wanted to touch on was Drakkar Close and Joaquim Silva, which was announced for UFC 301, which is in Rio de Janeiro on May 4th. Uh, two great unranked lightweights. Joaquim Silva, of course, lost to Armin Suzukian last year. Clipped him pretty good, though. Then beat Clay Guida. Drakkar Close um, did have a good uh, good debut. He finished someone, didn't he? Drakkar Close finished somebody, and I, I cannot recall who it was, but um, Drakkar Close, you are a very talented fighter. Actually, let me let me see, because Drakkar Close, of course, um, mo- most known for his dramatic loss to uh, Benil Dariush at, um, what was it? What was it? Um, so I guess, okay, when I type in Drakkar Close into the UFC stats, nothing comes up. So we're literally just going to leave that as is. But um, Drakkar Close got knocked up by Benil Dariush in uh, February of 2020. And it was kind of a meme. His uh, mouth guard came out. The judges, uh, who was it, DC, Anik, Rogan, they all had just a crazy reaction to it. And it was super funny, but since then, Drakkar's come back, gotten some big wins in the UFC. We'll be happy to see him return against Joaquim Silva. But UFC 300, it's been the big talk of the town, and we can only speculate about what is left for this card. Um, current card right now, you got Zhang Wei Li versus Yan Cheonin for the women's strawweight belt. That will be, obviously, on the main card. Justin Gaethje versus Max Holloway for the BMF belt, obviously, on the main card. Charles Oliveira versus Armin Sarukian. I'm projecting that to be on the main card. Juri Pachaska versus Alexander Rakic. I'm predicting that to be on the prelims. Calvin Cater and Aljamain Sterling, definitely on the prelims. Holly Holm versus Kayla Harrison, definitely on the prelims. Devison Figueredo and Cody Garbrandt, either going to be on the early prelims or regular prelims. So did Yusuf Diego Lopez, definitely early prelims. Bobby Green, Jim Miller, early prelims. And Bo Nickel versus Cody Brundage, I predict, will open up the card when that goes down in April. A lot of a lot of speculations about what could be uh, what could be going down. I mean, Alex Pereira is definitely a champion available to main event this card, but the rumors is that he's probably fighting Jamal Hill or he's fighting Magman Ankalaev at UFC 301, as there really isn't another Brazilian who can main event that card. So we're actually probably going to axe Alex Pereira as the main event, even though that could be a potential option. Um, the rumored uh, is that Leon Edwards, your current welterweight champion, will be taking on number two contender Bilal Muhammad, probably in the co-main event. So that would actually, that would probably fill up. Uh, we'll actually write this all down as we're doing this. Leon Edwards as uh, versus Bilal as the co-main. It's just, that is a hot rumor right now. Many pages have announced it. I think we're just kind of waiting for the announcement. Now, I will say if Leon Edwards faced Shavkat Rachmanov, 18-0, ranked number three uh, Kazakhstan man. I mean, 18-0 with all finishes, by the way. I think that could actually main event the card. I think people are sleeping on that fight. But um, if we're going to do Leon Edwards versus Bilal, you know, perfect time to do it as a co-main event. Um, you know, I heard that uh, Tom Aspinall was offered this uh, the main event for to defend his interim heavyweight belt against Stipe Miocic, and Stipe turned that fight down very sh- and I'm not gonna say shocking I'm not gonna say shocking because guess what that does not surprise me it does not surprise me Steve has been saying for a while like hey I only want to fight John Jones I'm only gonna fight John Jones which sucks because Tom Asmall is trying to build a repertoire trying to be the greatest heavyweight of all time and no one will take fights with him so that's very unfortunate for Tom 
Tom also said that, um, you know, he, he's ready to defend this belt this summer. The UFC is rumored to be going to Manchester, England. A UFC Manchester card in the summer could be headlined by Tom Asmall versus Cyril Gaon, or maybe the winner of Hull Almeida and Curtis Blades. A lot of options about what Tom Asmall could do. But if he's not main eventing UFC 300, then we'll see him this summer. Same with Alex Barrow. You know, we'll see him in May if he doesn't main event. Hamza Chimaev, a name that's being thrown around for UFC 300. He's posted cryptic posts about fighting on UFC 300. Currently ranked number nine. I mean, some hot rumors going around is he could fight Jared Cannonier on this card as like a main card bout. Um, he could fight Israel Adesanya on this card. Or even, they're saying, Driscus Duplessis' coach, his camp, is saying, hey, we want to main event UFC 300. We're just trying to get him healthy. And Driscus was pretty banged up after his fight. You don't really recover too quickly from all that damage you took. So we'll see if he's medically cleared. You know, the UFC could easily work their magic. But you could easily be seeing Driscus Duplessis versus Israel Adesanya or Hamzat Chemaev. So I'd say the favorite main event. As of as of today, as of today, uh, January 25th is Adesanya versus Duplessis as the main event of UFC 300. That's got to be the favorite co-main event, Leon Edwards. And you have three title fights then if you do that with a mock t- title, the BMF title, and you get Charles Oliveira on the main card. So it's just it's looking absolutely loaded. Hamzat, if you get him on the card, he's gonna be on the main card over Charles Oliveira and Armin Sarukian. So you have to kind of assess what you're going to do about who's getting bumped from the main card, who's going to stay on there. But I kind of hope we do see Hamzat on here. Jared Kennedy would be actually be a great opponent because Hamzat's ranked 9, Jared's ranked 4. It would work out pretty good, in my opinion. Um, but th- then if we if that's the case, if that's the case, you had those two title fights, then you have two more prelims to add. Because, I mean, that would be 12 fights. So that could be a full card. But I'm thinking they're going to load up with 14. So we're some big names that need fights. Who are some big names that need fights? And when I look around all the divisions, I mean, it's kind of hard to pick out because obviously some people can make turnarounds quicker than others. I mean, I think about when Kamaru Usman turned around from February to April to main event, uh, UFC 261. That was pretty crazy. That was a wild fast turnaround. But not everyone's like Kamaru Usman. So, I mean, when I kind of peek around, I mean, number four, Corey Sanhagen in the men's bantamweight division doesn't have a fight. But at the same time, there's not really options for him. So that kind of brings some trouble. Um, most of our Evloff, obviously, he could be looking for a fight, but there really isn't anyone for him to take on. You know, so no one really in the lighter divisions that's jumping out to me. Obviously, you know, you could get some fan names like Tony Ferguson. See uh, Kevin Holland and fighting MVP. I mean, gosh, Colby Covington, I don't know if he's going to turn around, but if you could get Colby Covington versus anyone, if you get Colby Covington versus, gosh, peeking around at names, there really isn't any names for him to fight, but just anyone. I mean, Ian Gary, uh, but there's just the turnarounds is what really draws into a question about what fights you could put on. So um, not too many names, not too many names when I peek around. Uh, heavyweight, to, heavyweight, there are some names. Sergey Pavlovich, Cyril Gaon. I mean, they don't have fights right now. You could do it. Alexander Volkov, Derek Lewis. A lot of these guys don't have fights right now. Um, but we'll continue to see what happens as the time slowly ticks away for UFC 300. The last, uh, last note that I missed in my notes is that Johan Lanesse was released. That was the guy who got knocked out or got submitted by Sam Patterson and on the prelims at UFC 297 who had lost three straight fights. And I said, hey, he's probably getting cut. You know, he's probably getting cut. There really isn't a um, 
a desire to have him on the card anymore. And uh, well, be, lo and behold, he was cut. So there's that. To give my quick UFC 300 predictions for the uh, 10 confirmed fights and my two other hypothetical fights, I mean, Bo Nickel, Cody Brundage, you're going to hear the exact same thing. Bo Nickel should run through Cody Brundage. Shouldn't even be a competition. Expect a Bo Nickel massacre. Bobby Green, Jim Miller, going to be a banger. I got right with Jim Miller. He's won on UFC 100. He's won on UFC 200. Bobby Green just got brutally knocked out by Jalen Turner. Give me Jim Miller. So did Yusuf and Diego Lopez. I like both guys, but Diego Lopez has been on fire. I'm riding his train to the top until it stops. So we're going with Diego Lopez in that. Devs and Figueredo and Cody Garbrandt. Look, if Devs and Figueredo doesn't brutally knock out Cody Garbrandt, I'll be disappointed. I expect something fun out of Devs and Figueredo. Holly Holm and Kayla Harrison. Look, I saw Kayla Harrison lose to Larissa Pacheco last time out that I watched one of her fights. Um, but Holly Holm, I think, is towards the end of her run. I'm going with Kayla Harrison in her debut. Calvin Cater, Aljamain Sterling, that's an interesting one. That is a very interesting fight. You see, Calvin Cater, excellent boxing. That's kind of Aljamain's weakness. And Aljamain, excellent grappler. I'd say that would be Calvin Cater's weakness. But I'm probably going with Calvin Cater just because of that. I see him sleeping, Aljamain Sterling. Especially if Sean O'Malley is, then, get, get, yeah, give me Calvin Cater in that one. Drew Petroska and Alexander Rakic. This one has me very torn. Both have knockout power. But Rakic hasn't fought in a long time. We'll see how his um, layoff has been. I don't think he's fought since May of 2022. It's been quite some time. Maybe even later in the year of 2022. But um, I'm a Drew Petroska fan. I've ridden with him in all of his fights. I'm going to have to go with Drew Petroska. Charles Olvera, Armin Sukri, and I might just pick this fight to be a draw. I like these both these guys too much. But, um, you know, I am going to pick with my heart for this one because I, I just root for Charles Olvera every time. So it could be I'd pick Charles and he loses and then I'd be double sad or I'd pick Armin and, you know, Charles wins and I'd be only half sad. So we'll weigh the options, but I'm going with Charles Olvera. And then I'll have to actually justify because then I'll have to actually figure out, like, hey, who do I actually think will win? Justin Gaethje, Max Holloway, another close fight. All I've seen from Justin Gaethje these last few his last few fights, these last few years, is the power he holds. And don't get me wrong, Max Holloway is power, but he's he's a volume guy. Okay, I'm thinking thinking that Justin Gaethje could be the first guy to knock out Max Holloway. We'll see. Zhang Wei Li, Yan Chaon, and give me Zhang Wei Li. That's my girl. I'm predicting her to be uh, the number one number one female fighter in the world come the end of the year. I mean, just give me her, give it to me all day. If Leon Edwards and Bilal Muhammad happens, Leon Edwards all day. Going to be a boring technical fight, but uh, yeah, I'm never picking Bilal Muhammad. And there's a lot of song in just because Duplass C. I, um, I'm very torn on this because, fun fact, uh, the middleweight belt has actually swapped hands five straight times. Another fun fact is that Israel Adesanya has never lost a chance at winning, at beating the middleweight belt. I mean, he won it against Whitaker, and he won it against Pera. So, I mean, a third time against Triscus Duplass. He would be insane. But you know what? I'm kind of a Duplessis fan. I like being different from the crowd. I might pick Duplessis to win against Adesanya. We'll see, though. Hey, who knows if that fight will go down? Who knows if maybe it's Hamza versus Duplessis? But um, also if Hamza fights, I'm riding with Hamza just because, you know, as much as people criticize him, he still is talented. I get the Usman fight kind of got some slack from the Gilbert Burns fight, too. But he's still learning. He is still learning. So let's not knock him off too much. Uh, Hamza Chimaev, we'll see if we see you on UFC 300. I predict we do. I predict we do. All righty. What, uh, what should we analyze next? Because I got a couple things 
couple UFC related things I want to look at. A couple NFL things. Actually, 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 let's talk about the uh, some NFL coaches that uh, were actually uh, what is it made or uh, some new NFL coaches, if you will. And then we'll look at all the finalists for the awards for the year. So yeah, NFL coaches and NFL awards. Let's check that out. So the big one, the big one. Jim Harbaugh, right? Is it, is it Jim? It's Jim Harbaugh, right? He was the Michigan guy. He was at Michigan. Uh, he's actually been signed to the Chargers. The Chargers are taking the Michigan head coach. They're taking old Jimbo. I mean, I'm I'm pumped for this. I'm I'm absolutely pumped for this. Let me tell you that. I mean, here's a guy who who was Harbaugh coach in the NFL before. I honestly, I honestly cannot remember for the life of me. It wasn't the Niners, was it? Um, Harbaugh, Harbaugh. Harbo, Michigan? What's his name? It's Jim, right? It's Jim Harbo. Um, yes, he previously served as the head coach of Michigan, now joining the Los Angeles Chargers, which the Chargers are desperately in need of a good coach. Staley was Staley was absolutely terrible. Um da, 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 da. Atlanta? There's no oh, he was interviewing with Atlanta. Yes, he was very uh <laughs> Atlanta, I'm interested to see what they do because I'm hearing word that uh, Bill Belichick might go there, and I just do not see that working out well. Do 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 Jim Harbaugh was in the NFL. Jim Harbaugh was in the NFL. Um so let's just type in Jim Harbaugh NFL. By the way, we're on Bing because my computer automatically loads up Bing, which I kinda hate. Um top stories. Okay, I, I I legit do not think I can find this. I, uh, bu- 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 bum. I Jim Harbaugh NFL stats. Does Jim Harbaugh have NFL stats? Bu- bu- bum. The Colts. He was not that coach of the Colts. What is it? Let's go to Wikipedia. My goodness, you know this is what happens when I try and do some live, some live uh stats here on the pod. It just never works out. There he was. He was the 49ers coach from 2011 to 2014. That's all I needed. That's all I need. He's been at Michigan for eight years. He joined in 2015. Wow. So an eight-year return to the league for Harbaugh. We'll see how it works out for him. But, man, if he if he can take this team the way he took the Chargers team to the playoffs, or not the the, the opposite, the way he took Michigan to the top of the uh, top of the podium, I mean, I am all here. I am all here for it. Jim Harbaugh, I wish you luck with this uh, Chargers team. Panthers are actually hiring the Bucks offensive coordinator Dave Canales as its new head coach. Panthers really, really in need of um, some assistance, you could say, uh, with the disaster that was their two and two and what is it two and fifteen season? Yes, Bryce Young. So hopefully this offensive coordinator can help out. And looking what he did for Baker Mayfield, looking what he did with Rashad White. I mean, this Buccaneers offense led their team to a divisional round appearance. That is absolutely incredible. This team was supposed to be tanking with the loss of Tom Brady. Instead, it came out as a powerhouse, an absolute powerhouse. I, uh, I think Dave Canales will do a great job in Carolina. In Carolina, my goal for you is to win seven games next year. Seven games. That's my goal for Bryce Young. Final uh, big head coach signing I saw was that the Falcons are hiring the Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris. Not Mostert, Morris. Raheem Morris as their new head coach. Very good. The past one, what was his name? Arthur Smith, maybe? Whatever. Terrible job. Just could not figure out what to do with this Falcons team. And the Rams defense, they're pretty solid. Taking over a whole team. Raheem, I I think I like what I'm going to see. Falcons, Panthers, and Chargers. There are going to be some teams that probably the next 10 years you'll see a turn, change the other guard for them. But as for now, they're bottom to maybe middle of the pack. I I, I honestly don't even know if they're considered middle of the pack teams. But 
interesting, interesting head coach signings. The big one, the big thing that I wanted to talk about on today's episode was that the Associated Press unveiled their finalists for the NFL MVP and Offensive Player of the Year awards. Lamar Jackson, Chris McCaffrey, and Dak Prescott are the finalists, according to the Associated Press. And the winners will be announced February 8th. Um, Josh Allen, Brock Purdy, and even, um, actually, actually, no, Josh Allen, Brock Purdy are in the running for, I'm just going to the NFL's website, you know, sometimes I, sometimes ESPN is helpful, other times ESPN is just absolutely a joke at the same time, it is, it's a corporation, gotta be careful with that. Here's all the awards. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey, Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy, all in the running for MVP finalists. Um, get Brock Purdy out of there. Get Dak Prescott. Josh Allen, you know, he led the league in, I think, touchdowns and total yards. I'm sorry. Just he did not do enough. It's between Lamar and McCaffrey. And as good as McCaffrey was, almost got 1,500 uh, rushing yards on the season. I know he got over 2,000 purpose yards. What Lamar did this year was amazing. Give it to him. Lamar Jackson is my MVP. Chris McCaffrey, though, okay? Keep doing your thing, and you will become an MVP. Very, very uh, pumped for that. Offensive Player of the Year finalists, Tyreek Hill, Lamar Jackson, CeeDee Lamb, Chris McCaffrey, Dak Prescott. Lamar, if you're winning MVP, just don't give it to him. CeeDee and Dak, you guys did really good, and CeeDee actually passed Tyreek for uh, fantasy points. Yards went to Tyreek, though. But um, Christian McCaffrey, you know, if he's not winning MVP, give him offensive player of the year. If you snub him from both of those awards, then there is some uh, there's some uh, discrepancy going on. Defensive player of the year, your final five are Deron Bland, cornerback for the Cowboys, Max Crosby, Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, and T.J. Watt. All very deserving. You know, Deron Bland set the record for most pick sixes. But other than that, got torched by a lot of backfields. Uh, Max Crosby, Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, all kind of give me the same vibe, just these tough dudes in the trenches. But um, from what I've been seeing, Miles Garrett had an amazing year. So Miles Garrett is uh, probably the favorite for defensive player of the year. Offensive rookie of the year. This one's pretty interesting. Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta, Puka Nakua, Bijan Robinson, and CJ Stroud are your top five finalists. Um, out of those five, I'd probably say Sam Laporta, Puka, and CJ are my top three. Jameer, Bijan, amazing seasons. But, you know, the other guys accomplish more. They're not going to give it to Sam Laporta, unfortunately. So it comes down to Puka and CJ. And this is where it gets tough. Because CJ led his team to a appearance in the divisional round against the Ravens. You know, he did amazing. But Puka Nakua set the all-time receiving yards for the NFL history. So I got to give it to Puka Nakua. If they could do a co-award. I would very much encourage that. I would I would love to see a co-award for all these guys. Last, uh, actually, there's four more categories. Defensive Rookie of the Year. You got Will Anderson Jr. of the Texans, Jalen Carter of the Eagles, Joey Porter Jr. of the Steelers, Kobe Turner of the Rams, and Devin Witherspoon of the Seahawks. Honestly, it could go any which way. Will Anderson Jr., Devin Witherspoon, probably my top two guys, but... Honestly, I don't really pay too much to defensive rookies. Comeback player of the year, Joe Flacco, DeMar Hamlin, Baker Mayfield, Matthew Stafford, Tua Tagovailoa. Amazing stuff from Baker, Matthew, and Tua, but the debate comes down to Joe Flacco or DeMar Hamlin. If they give it to DeMar, it's a huge mistake. Because DeMar Hamlin, yeah, he almost died last year. Yeah, he played this year, but he's not a good NFL player. He's not. He doesn't even start. I don't even know if he clocked 15 minutes of field time the whole year. 
Joe Flacco led the Browns team to the number five seed, led them into the playoffs. Give me Joe Flacco, comeback player of the year. Amazing stuff. I mean, just truly amazing stuff. Coach of the year finalists. This one's going to be interesting. You got Dan Campbell, John Harbaugh, D'Amico Ryan, Kyle Shanahan, Kevin Stefanski. All right, let's do some elimination. Kyle Shanahan and John Harbaugh, you both are amazing, but we already knew your teams were good. You know, you, you add an aspect to them, but I just don't think so. Kevin Stefanski, I would have said if your team didn't get blown out by the Texans, you would have made it, but you're just you're just not going to up here. You're just up here because they need a fifth guy. It comes down to D'Amico Ryan or Dan Campbell, and it's so tricky because D'Amico Ryan took this Texans team, which was sinking, and led it to a divisional round appearance. They even won their first playoff game, won the division. Meanwhile, Dan Campbell has taken this Lions team from 0-16, almost 1-16 or whatever, and he has managed to bring them to the NFC Conference Championship. And they don't even have terrible odds of beating the 49ers. They have a pretty good chance to beat the 49ers. I might even pick the Lions. We'll see later on the episode. But, man, 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 I don't know. I'm going with Dan Campbell. I'm going with Dan Campbell. I just think taking this Lions team from where it was the last two years, bringing it here. I mean, the draft picks of Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporte have worked out so good. Jared Goff is having a career resurgence in Detroit. I mean, Dan Campbell, I'm going to give it to you. And lastly, we have Assistant Coach of the Year Awards, Bobby Slowick, Offensive Coordinator for the Texans, Jim Schwartz, Defensive Coordinator for the Browns, Todd Mockin, Offensive Coordinator, Ravens, Mike McDowell, Defensive Coordinator, Ravens, and Ben Johnson, Offensive Coordinator, Lions. Um, all these guys very deserving. Going to get rid of, uh, oh, actually, I'm not going to get rid of any of these. All these guys are deserving. I mean, think about the Lions offense, how good it's been this year. The Ravens offense and defense, both are just immaculate. Brown's defense is what carried them as far as they did. And this Texans offense is going to be a problem the next few years. I mean, Nico Collins, Tank Dell. If they keep Devin Singletary, he's going to be a killer. And we'll see what happens with Damian Pierce and CJ Stroud, man. This team is in good hands. Um, I, I'll see if I'm making a pick. I'll just give it to one of the Ravens, guys. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Any other fun stats for the NFL? I don't, I don't really think so. I mean, I just wanted to kind of cover... Cover the odds, um, you know, there's a, there's a pretty hectic season, and there's a lot of a lot of awards on the line. I'll say, you know, if, if uh, DeMar Hamlin wins, I will be upset. That's the only thing that I'll be upset at, because I just know how BS it is that DeMar should not. DeMar should not be your uh, comeback player of the uh of the year. He just he just did not he did not do anything. He didn't do anything. Did he even get a tackle? Did DeMar Hamlin even get a tackle this season? I, I don't think so. I don't think DeMar Hamlin did anything. We won't talk too much down on DeMar, though. we got some more stuff to talk about. So, moving into our next our next segment. Ooh, we are just cruising along at lightning speed. Um, the MMA rank, 50 to 1. Of course, I was going to talk about this earlier, decided not to. But um, we're going to go through. We're going to go through from 50 to 1 and look at who's supposed to be, you know, the best, who's supposed to be the worst, and we'll see what happens. But this is actually, this is out of all MMA people, you know, through all organizations. So yeah, pretty cool. Let's get into it. So your number 50 MMA fighter for 2024 is actually Kayla Harrison, you know, and they dropped this before it was announced she was going to the UFC. Um, you know, she actually fought in the PFL Women's Lightweight Division, 155. I mean, she's going to have to cut 20 pounds 20 pounds, you know, it's pretty hectic. Um, like I mentioned, 16-1 record, 
Um, she ended her year with a win over Aspen Ladd in the PFL. Um, she is super good. We'll see what she uh, does against Holly Holm. At 49, Chris Cyborg. Uh, currently your Bellator Women's Featherweight Champion, a 27-2 MMA record. And you know, Chris Cyborg, legend. Legend of the game. Legendary woman. Uh, we'll see what she does, but she's probably got big fights lined up in the P- PFL and Bellator. Who knows? 48, they got Conor McGregor. They got Conor McGregor. How about that? He wasn't on their list last year. Um, you know, 22-6 and six record. He's he's never, no one else has had more spotlight than Conor McGregor. Uh, we'll see if he returns this year. I really hope he does against Michael Chandler, against Max Holloway, against Nate Diaz. I hope we see Conor McGregor. Actually, speaking, speaking of McGregor, I watched the trailer for his Roadhouse movie, and it actually looks good. Him and Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, Jake's the good guy. Jake's the Roadhouse, the fighter, the bouncer. And Conor McGregor's like this enforcer villain. I mean, it, I'm going to watch it. It's kind of a shame it's not in the theaters. It's going to be on Amazon Prime. So at least I can watch it in the comfort of my home. But I, I really feel like this should uh, this should be on uh, on the uh, some movie theater because I pay some money. They can make some money off of me. At 47, they got Jalen Turner, uh, currently in the lightweight top 15. Wasn't even ranked on the top 50 last year. 14 and 7 MMA record. Um, you know, 2023 was a pretty crazy year for Jalen Turner. He lost two of his three fights, but two of those were split decisions. Um, and he ended the year with a big knockout of Bobby Green. I mean, he is, he's going to be coming into the new year with momentum. What actually is Jalen right currently right now? He's currently ranked number nine. I could see him fighting number seven, Benil Dariush. Gosh, he could even, who, who, the sky's the limit for Jalen Turner. I like this. At 45, Jamal Hill, of course, coming back from injury. Your light heavyweight, former light heavyweight champion. Uh, 12-1 record. Only losses to Paul Craig. You know, he's kind of like Magmanaka Laev. One, one win last year over Glover Teixeira. Pretty good. He might be in Brazil to take on Alex Barra. We'll see. At number 44, we have A.J. McKee, who was actually ranked 22nd last year. He has a 21-1 professional record. Fights in the lightweight division of Bellator. Um, how did he do last year? Um, he has to do with the fighters above him earning title opportunities and having a spotlight since he didn't have any. He dropped his title back in April 2022. Um, he is 3-0 and in a heavier weight class. Uh, he'll be navigating the new PFL and Bellator uh, arrangement that the ranking should improve in no time. AJ McKee, I saw him beat Patricio Pitbull. Then I saw Patricio Pitbull beat him in Bellator. You know what? Come to the UFC. We'll see what you're made of. At number 43, we got number two ranked men's UFC featherweight, Yair Rodriguez, who was ranked 27th last year, dropping down to 43, a 16-4 professional record. I mean, he submitted Josh Emmett, got destroyed by Volkanovski, and now is a fight with Brian Ortega. I'll have to say, this guy does not have much stock with him. I don't know what to do with Ayer, but 43 is good for you. Wow, this has got to be the biggest fall-off. There will not be a bigger fall than this. 42 is Kamaru Usman, who last year in the top 50 was ranked 5. 5, heading into 2023. He's fallen to 42. He's 20-4. and four. Um, What do you have, an 0-2 year? Had an 0-2 year, lost to Leon Edwards, lost to Hamza Chimaev. Man, Kamaru Usman, another fighter that you could actually throw on UFC 300 if you want to. Currently doesn't have a fight booked. Still the number one contender at welterweight. Um, he could fight Shavkar Rachmanov. He could fight Jared Kanier. He could fight Robert Whitaker. Who knows what to do with Kamaru Usman. At number 41, we got Jan Chayonen. How about that? Your UFC strawweight number one contender will be fighting for the belt at UFC 300. We mentioned that. 17-3 professional record. 
Um, she knocked out Jessica Andrade last year. Good for her. Happy to see it. Good for you, Jan Chayonim. And number 40, dropping down from 18 last year, Davison Figueredo, 22-3-1, fresh record. Look, I completely get this. He lost to Brandon Moreno. Didn't end up fighting again until the end of the year against Rob Font. Hey, he's got sights set on Sean O'Malley. We'll see what Davison Figueredo brings us this year. And number 39, here's a name I hear a lot. Um, this guy is in Bellator, Johnny Eblen, who is currently the middleweight champion over there with a 14-0 professional record. Sits atop the division. He's undefeated as a pro. Um, man, impressive stuff. He will face his toughest test to date when he takes on 2023 PFL light heavyweight champion Impa Consagna at on February 24th. Ooh, that should be a good one. But Johnny, you know what? You weren't ranked last year. You're on here at 39, 14-0, middleweight champ. I wish you luck against Impa Consagana, who was, hope Impa's on here. I really hope they throw Impa Consagana on here. At 38, wasn't even on here last year, Dustin Poirier, UFC men's lightweight, 29-8 record, taking on Benoit Saint-Denis in the co-main event, five rounds. March, uh, March, when it was? When is that? March 9th, UFC 299 in Miami, Florida. Going to be an absolute banger of a card there. Dustin, I don't know how you're going to do against Benoit Saint-Denis. He's an absolute killer. Even Joe Rogan's warning you about him. But um, Dustin Poirier kind of did not have a good did not have a good 2023. Got knocked out clean, clean with a head kick by Justin Gaethje. I've never really been a Dustin Poirier fan. I always like enjoy, I, I enjoy watching him fight. But, you know, I never really root for him to win. Uh, Dustin, yeah. At 37, dropping down from 14 last year, you got Brandon Moreno. Makes sense to me. You know, he lost the belt to Brandon, uh, to uh, Alexander Pantoja. I will say that was a close fight. Moreno takes on Roy Val coming up February 24th. That's actually a couple weeks. Actually a month. I think it's exactly like one day under a month. Um, I'll be happy to see him back. I love Brandon Moreno. Big Brandon Moreno fan. Sad to see him dropping, though. And number 36, Vadim Nemkov, who is unranked in last year's um, MMA Top 50 for 2023. He is 17-2 and is currently the Bellator Light Heavyweight Champion, former UFC fighter, I believe. Um, he is, uh, what is it, 12-0 in the company, hasn't lost a fight since 2016, and has held the Bellator title since August 2020 with five defenses. Wow. How about that? Vadim Nemkov, good for you. Good for you. At 35, Aljamain Sterling, you know, it kind of makes sense. You know, he lost the bantamweight belt after defending against Cejudo. He'll be back against Calvin Cater, but, you know, he does turn 35 this year. And we all know about fighters under 155 when they turn 35. They usually don't win. That's a fun fact. 34, you got Patchy Mix. He's your Bellator bantamweight champion. Wasn't ranked last year. One of the better uh, fighters outside the UFC at 33, Larissa Pacheco, currently your PFL Women's Featherweight Champion. Another woman who would probably do pretty good in the uh, UFC realm. Actually um, beat Kayla Harrison. She's the only woman to ever beat Kayla Harrison. Very impressive. At 32, ooh, here's a familiar name, Halton Almeida, 20-2 UFC heavyweight, was ranked last year. Huge fight against Curtis Blades coming up. He had two main event wins in uh, 2023. Halton Almeida is an absolute killer. And it's funny, of his 20 professional wins, he has finished 19 of them. The only man he couldn't finish, and by the way, he's a grappler, is Derek Lewis. I find that stat absolutely hilarious. And number 31, 
Oh my gosh, this guy, this guy better climb the freaking rankings at men's band. Wait, he's my pick to end the year in the top five. I just don't think he's going to get to a tell shot this year. Everyone's avoiding him. 16-0, UFC bantamweight. Umar Nurmagomedov, the cousin of Khabib, one of the Dagestani boys, was only able to get one fight in last year, and it was a round one knockout. Oh my goodness, I I absolutely, absolutely love Umar Nurmagomedov. He is such a fun fighter, and even though he just grapples guys, he can strike. He's got knockout power. He's like Islam Makachev. Umar, I'll be happy to see you. Here we go, getting into the uh, top 30 at number 30, Justin Gaethje. Currently a UFC lightweight fighter and your BMF champion. 25-4 and four record for Justin Gaethje. And amazing. He had an absolutely amazing 2023. Um, has a fight of the year candidate against Rafael Fazeev. Stops his high train, hype train. Wins the BMF belt over Dustin Poirier. And now has a massive fight against Max Holloway lined up. Gaethje, you might be in the top 10 come the end of the year. And number 29, they got Corey Sandhagen here. Very interesting. Wasn't ranked on the top 50 for 2023. 17-4 professional record. Did pick up big wins over Rob Font and Marlon Vera. Not in spectacular fashion last year. He was turned into a grappler. Um, he's begging for a title shot. No one really is saying, like, hey, let's give him a title shot. But, um, Corey, you could easily get one. We'll see. This woman... This woman you should watch out for. Number 28 on this list. Wasn't ranked here last year. 11-0 UFC strawweight Tatiana Suarez. Returned after a four-year hiatus and had two finishes in the UFC. Including one over Jessica Andrade. Tatiana Suarez, she'll be climbing the UFC strawweight rankings. At number 27, they got Francis Ngannou. He was ranked 8th last year, so this is a big 19-spot fall-off. 17-3 MMA record. Currently has a boxing bout lined up against Anthony Joshua. I'm hoping that he gets an MMA fight in. I'm hoping he makes his way back to the UFC. Um, I know Dana does not like admitting he's wrong, so if you could just admit, yeah, maybe you should have paid Ngannou more, that would work out for the best. And number 26, Usman Nurmagomedov. I don't know. He might be another cousin. Might be another cousin. Maybe he's the brother of Umar. I honestly can't recall. Um, still one of the best young fighters on the planet at age 25. Magomedov slid in these rankings. Um, he was ranked 23 last year. He is currently the Beltor lightweight champion, 17-0. Um, he tested positive for a banned substance, but the uh, drug substance came from prescribed medicine that Nurmagomedov did not disclose, so uh, it doesn't taint what he's been able to accomplish but uh, doesn't make him eligible to fight until April. So we'll see what the uh, Usman Nurmagomedov brings. And number 25, oh man, this is this is the guy who might make me pick against Charles Oliveira. Armin Sarukian, number four ranked UFC lightweight. I mean, 21-3 and three professional record. Finishes Joaquim Silva, finishes Benil Dariush, now has a fight against Charles Oliveira at UFC 300. This kid is amazing. And by the way, his two losses in the UFC... And his debut against Islam Makachev and a close, a close, basically a split decision against Matus Gamrot. So only two losses in the UFC, very close. Armin Sarukian, I'll see ya. 24, who was, oh my gosh, this, this woman was ranked number three last year. She fell to 24, and that is Valentina Shevchenko. I don't know what Valentina should do. She's 35 years old, you know, 23, 4-1 record. Very impressive. But she lost the belt to Grasso, failed to get it back against Grasso. I'm personally not really hammering for another Grasso fight because guess what? If she wins, then they're 1-1-1, one, one, and, one, and we fall back into the Figueredo and Moreno trap. So I think Valentina should move up to Bantamweight. 
move up to women's bantamweight because it's wide open. Women's bantamweight is need of fighters um, and do that. But Valentina, she was the number three MMA fighter for 2023. Now she's the number 24 for 2024. How about that? Dreyses Duplessis was unranked last year, but I mean, they made this before his title fight, and now look at him. He's the middleweight champion. He's definitely, his stock is going to rise. He's the number eight pound-for-pound fighter in the world right now. I mean, Dreyses Duplessis, bring it home. He could be main event at UFC 300. We'll see. Number 22, Jiri Prochaska, as good as he is, 29-4-1 record. We're hoping he can bounce back from that Oxpera uh, fight when he fights Rockets at UFC 300. Wasn't ranked last year. Probably should have been. Should have been last year. I mean, he won the belt over Glover Teixeira. Um, but Jiri, happy to see him. At 21, he was actually ranked 21 last year. Very odd. Charles Oliveira uh, only fought once last year, destroyed Benil Dariush after being... Awkwardly, like, taken down by Benil, worked his way back up, hit him with a head kick, got on top, battered his brains. Oliveira, 34-9 record, looking to get back to the belt. Look, I love Charles Oliveira, man. I would I would dye my hair blonde for Charles Oliveira. Oh, man, we'll see what happens. At 20, at 20, this guy was ranked 4 last year. Heading into 2023, Hamza Chemaev, UFC middleweight now, 13-0. Last year, the talk was he would become double weight champion and welterweight and middleweight. He would be the top guy. He had one fight last year, and it was a close fight on short notice against Kamru Usman. Hamza needs to do something big, or he needs to do something big. I don't really want to say his stock has fallen, but all he seems to do is call out guys. He doesn't seem to fight. Hamza, we'll see what happens to you. And number 19, wasn't even ranked to the top 50 last year, Max Holloway. I mean, dude, finished, finished Chansung Jung last year, beat Arnold Allen over five rounds. Huge fight against Justin Gaethje coming up. Max Holloway is campaigning for one last shot at the men's featherweight belt. One last opportunity to prove he's the man. We'll see if he can do it. And number 18, Sean Strickland was currently the middleweight champion as, um... As this list was made, but clearly that is not the case anymore. Lost his belt against Driscus Duplessis. Definitely going to fall off kind of in the uh, in the rankings. You know, once a champion loses, their stock falls. That's how it happens. Um, we can actually do a loyal to the belt. We should have done loyal to the belt in Sean Strickland. Strickland's got haters. Strickland's got fans. He'll uh, keep it moving. And number 17, wasn't here last year, Marab Dwevashelli, 16-4 record. He's on a 10-fight win streak. Huge fight against Henry Cejudo coming up at UFC 298. Marab still hasn't gotten a tail shot. Probably should have like two fights ago. Um, if he beats Cejudo, it's unanimous. He's getting a bantamweight title shot. Marab, I'm rooting for you. And number 16, I'm very surprised he's this high. Marlon Vera, he was ranked 13th last year. Um, since defeating Dominic Cruz with a spectacular head kick in uh, August 2022, the Ecuadorian has been on the short list to be the next bantamweight contender for the belt. A loss to Corey Sanhagen in March caused Vera to fall into the rankings, but a victory over Pedro Munoz in September and his history with Sean O'Malley has now earned him a shot at the belt at UFC 299. Marlon, I, I honestly think a lot of people think he's going to be uh, Sean O'Malley. I'm not one of those people. I'm not a Marlon Vera hater, but I just do not think he's going to do it. You got to be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me, boys and girls. At number 15, they got, remember the name, Bilal Muhammad, the most boring fighter in the UFC. Bilal, I'm just, I'm sorry, professional hater, had one fight last year, fought Gilbert Burns, who hurt his arm in round number one. Gilbert Burns injured himself in round number one. Bilal still couldn't even finish him. Bilal didn't do anything, all right? Is he worthy of a tail shot? Yes. 
Do we want to watch him fight for one? No. Bilal at 15 is ridiculous. At 14, he was seven last year. John Jones, look, he won the belt last year. He got injured. He, he wants to fight. He's not going to rush back, though. John Jones, still one of the best heavyweights. Uh, he definitely the probably the baddest human on the planet. It's unfortunate he got injured, but uh, hopefully he'll be back before we know it. And number 13, he was six last year. Now at 13, Israel Adesanya. Israel Adesanya had kind of probably the craziest 2023. I mean, went from knocking out his age-old rival to shockingly losing in front of his home crowd to a guy he was supposed to finish in round one in Sean Strickland. Um, Asanya, still very good. He's got fights coming with Duplessis and Hamzat. I'll be interested to see what happens to Israel Asanya. At number 12, Sean O'Malley. He was 16 last year, had one fight last year, won the belt. Big fight with Marlon Vera coming up. Sean O'Malley is as legit as they come. I'm a huge fan of him. I was a fan of him back in 2020 when he was knocking out, um, what's his freaking face, Eddie Wineland. And who was the other guy he knocked out? Was it Jose Quinones at um, 248? I think it was. Jose Quinones, March something at 248. At number 11, oh man, he was ranked 29th last year by favorite welterweight in the uh, UFC, Shavkat Rachmanov, 18-0, finished Jeff Neal, finished Wonderboy Thompson last year, ooh, he's from Uzbekistan, a uh, Kazakhstan fighter, Uzbekistan born, Kazakhstan now, wow, Shavkat is as Eastern Asian as they come, Eastern Asian Russian area, I love Shavkat Rachmanov so much, my, f might be my favorite fighter in the whole UFC, he's up there with Armin and um, Charles Oliveira, Brandon Reno. I have too many favorite fighters, but Shavkat, big things to come. He's got fights potentially coming with Usman, fighting for the belt next. I mean, Shavkat is legit. At number 10, he jumped up nine spots from last year. Ito Pura, 14-0, proved he's legit. And, you know, he only had one fight last year, and it's all he needed to um, get a title shot. I mean, I cannot wait for February 17th to watch him finish Volkanovski and become the new champion. Iotopira, I'm rooting for you. And number nine, he was number two last year, but after going one and two in 2023, Alexander Volkanovski is uh, now here. Uh, 26 and three professional record, and um, two of those losses are to Islam Makachev. We'll see how he does against the Antopira, but Volkano seems to be kind of heading towards the end of his tenure. At number eight, I absolutely love this, was not even on anyone's radar last year. Tom freaking Aspinall, your current UFC interim heavyweight champion. I mean, here's a guy who injures himself in July of 2022 against Curtis Blades, tears something in his knee. Comes back next July, almost to the day, and knocks out Marcin Tibera in just over a minute in front of a sold-out London crowd. Comes back in November, knocks out the, the knocks out the knockout artist and Sergey Pavlovich, another one of my boys. But I'm a, I also like Tom Aspinall. I mean, he knocks him out clean with a right hand, little one-two combo in round number one. He's been campaigning for fights with Stipe, campaigning for fights with John Jones. He said, "I'll take on Curtis Blades. I'll I'll fight Alex Pereira. I'll fight Hal Domain. I'll fight Shogun." Tom Aspinall as legit as they come. And we could be looking at one of the greatest, if not the greatest heavyweight fighter of all time by the time his career is over. Tom Aspinall, excited to see what you bring. At number seven, I absolutely love this one too. 
Erin Blanchfield, 12-1 current UFC women's flyweight fighter. Uh, I believe she ranked like number three in the division. Number two, Erin fights Manon Fiorat in UFC Atlantic City March 30th. Um, and she's my pick to win the women's flyweight belt this upcoming year. I think she is so good. I think she's so talented. Um, she beat Jessica Andrade and Talia Santos last year. Um, sent both back. And I mean, Erin Blanchfield, huge fan of yours. And number six, wasn't even on anyone's radar last year. Alexander Pantoja is now your UFC men's flyweight champion. Has two 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 decision um, title defenses, but um, he's he's so good. I mean, Alexander Pantoja is so good. He'll be fighting Amir Albazi, Brandon Moreno. I mean, he's got Muhammad Mokayev. No, he's got a lot of guys on the come up to fight. Pantoja, keep building your resume. All right, getting into the top five of the top 50 um, MMA fighters to watch for in uh, 2024. And number five, she was ranked nine last year, so jumping up, Zhang Wei Li, your current woman's UFC strawweight champion. It's a shame. It's a shame Zhang Wei Li was only able to fight once last year, destroyed Amanda Limos. I mean, you don't get performance bonus for a five-round decision win and not have it be spectacular. Um... Zhang Weili, super amazing. Excited to watch her fight Yan Chione at UFC 300. And her run of late has just been amazing. I mean, knocking out Joanna Joan Jacek, submitting Carla Esparza, having a 50-43 scorecard against Amanda Limos. I mean, Zhang Weili, give it to me. Number four, we got Alexa Grasso. This is very bold. Of uh, This is very bold. Well, was not ranked last year, became UFC Women's Flyweight Champion, 16-3-1 professional record. I just think she's the kryptonite. She's the kryptonite to, uh, what's her what's her name? Valentina Shevchenko. But I think she loses. I think she loses to other uh, other fighters in the division. I think I think Man Fiora beats her. I think Aaron Blanchfield beats her. I would maybe even say like Natalie Silva would beat her. But Alexa Grasso at number four, very cool. At number three, he was ranked 12 last year. Your current UFC welterweight champion, Leon Edwards. 22-3 record. Beat Usman, beat Covington, did what he had to do. Big fights against Bilal Muhammad and Shafkar Rachmanov in his future. Leon Edwards, you're good. The number two fighter for the top 50. Alrighty, this is wild. He was 10 last year. He's now up to two. Poetan. Alex Pajara, your current UFC light heavyweight champion, former UFC middleweight champion. And he's got fights with Jamal Hill or Magomed Ankalaev lined up for May. Going to be very cool to see. Maybe he'll even fight Tom Aspinall. We'll see. Uh, Alex Pajara, you know, had a, had a very interesting year. Had the exact opposite year of Adesanya. Gets knocked out by Israel in, uh, what was it, April. Comes back in July, beats Tom Blahovich, and then comes back in November and wins the belt. Yeah, the light heavyweight championship over Jerry Bojaska. Alex Barra, absolutely love you. Crazy to see you at two. And number one, he was number one last year. He'll be number one until he retires. Islam Makhchev. I mean, 25-1 and one record. Your UFC lightweight champion beat Volkanovski twice, the f- second time more impressive than the first. Who knows who Islam's going to fight this summer, but I hope we get to see him twice this year. Islam Makachev is so freaking good. And how about his striking improving? He, 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 he was supposed to be just a grappler, and he's out here knocking out Volkanovski with a head kick. Islam, you are just... You're amazing. That's all I can say, Islam. You are freaking amazing. I love it, Islam. Islam Makachev, your number one fighter for 2024. Oh, my gosh. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy, Islam.
Alrighty. We got a, uh, you know what? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it because we got some uh, some fun little segment here that uh, I just decided to create. I decided to create this segment, and it was for the next few episodes. We're gonna be reviewing my experience in watching UFC. My experience in watching UFC. I joined in the end of 2019 to um, start watching this sport. I've fallen in love with it since. It's been so amazing. So we're going to revisit my tenure and just kind of go down memory lane of all the events that I have watched. So without further ado, I mean, let's get right into it um, as we've just crossed the hour mark. So let's talk about the first fight I ever watched uh, or the main event that I ever watched. So I remember it was a Sunday or it was a Saturday afternoon uh, September of 2019, I'm downstairs playing Xbox. I go on UFC EA Sports 3, and I see that Khabib Nurmagomedov is fighting this guy named Dustin Poirier. And I'm like, oh my gosh, an American and a Russian. How about that? You know, we had the whole Trump and Putin garbage, you know? So I'm like, oh my gosh, this looks so cool. And here, here I am. I'm like, oh my gosh, Habib, that's the guy who uh, beat McGregor. I don't know who this Dustin guy is. So I, I go on Google. I'm like, oh my gosh, Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah, they, they show UFC events. Let's see if this one by my house is. And they were. So we show up. My parents are like, yeah, we'll do this. And it's packed there. It's absolutely loaded. It's the middle of the afternoon since this event was in. I don't know if it was it in Saudi Arabia. Actually, it was in Saudi Arabia. How about that? Abu Dhabi, yes, sir. And I remember we come in, we watch Curtis Blades beat uh, Shamil Abdurkimov, finish him with TKOs. And actually, pretty crazy about this card is on the prelims, you had Bilal Muhammad getting a submission victory. Um, you also had Joanne Calderwood getting a win, which would actually propel her to almost a title shot. And uh, also on to kick off the main card, Carlos, uh, Carlos Ferreira got a win. But Curtis Blades, I watched him finish Shamil, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that guy's good. Is on Makachev, Davi Ramos, boring grappling fight. Wasn't really paying attention. Co-main event, though, Paul Felder, Edson Barbosa, very, very close. And then I got my first taste of what it's like to watch a UFC pay-per-view main event as I watch Khabib and Dustin, and the Buffalo Wild Wings was going absolutely crazy. I mean, people rooting for Khabib, people rooting for Dustin. I was rooting for Dustin just because he was American. I didn't know anything about the UFC. He almost submitted Khabib with a guillotine, the first ever UFC fight I officially watched. Because, you know, I, I watched the Curtis Blades, the Islam, the Paul Fellas, just kind of half, but this one I was really paying attention. And I saw him almost submit Khabib, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. Everyone was going nuts. Round three, cinches in the rear naked chokehold. I'm like, no, that can't be it. And that was it. It was absolutely crazy. And I felt I became a fan ever since. Or did I? Because I did not really know how the UFC worked. Because I found out that there are numbered events, which are pay-per-views, and they have fight nights every, almost every other Saturday, basically, pretty much. So the following weekend, I did not know about Cowboy and Gaethje, all right? I did not know that was a thing. But yes, the next weekend, Justin Gaethje would knock out Cowboy Cerrone in, uh, actually, in Vancouver, British Columbia. Pretty fancy that enough. Um, also on that card, Glover Teixeira getting a win. Todd Duffy having an eye poke over Jeff Hughes. Uh, you also had Michelle Pereira making his debut, Uriah Hall. I mean, there was a lot of stuff on the prelims. On the prelims of that card, you had Augusto Sakai knocking out Marcin Tibera in a minute. How about that? Following that event, I mean, the UFC went to Mexico City, still did not know anything about any of that. That Mexico card actually filled with tons of controversy as Jair Rodriguez had an eye poke 15 seconds in against Jeremy Stevens. Uh, the fans got pissed. The fight got stopped. We're throwing stuff in the octagon. Absolutely a disaster. 
On that card, though, Carlos Barza would actually beat Alexa Grasso. Askar Askroff would have a draw against Brandon Moreno. On the prelims, Sergio Pettis defeating Tyson Nam. Pretty crazy stuff there. Paul Craig getting a submission victory. Still did not watch that event. Very cool enough. Um, Hermanson and Jerry Kanier, I just learned right now, was in Denmark. That year when uh, Jerry Kanier knocked him out in uh, round number two. Gilbert Burns won on that card. Ian Kudalaba finished Khalil Roundtree on that card. On the prelims, anyone fun? Mark Kise was on the prelims. Giga Chikadze got a split decision win on the prelims. Still was not watching. Whitaker and Adesanya still was not very conscious of the UFC. You know, I had watched I had watched Habib and such. And, you know, I kind of watched the results of this where Israel Asanya knocked out Wicker. Since then, I've watched pretty much all these cards. I've gone back and looked at them. And this card is super fun. Jorgen De Castro knocking out Justin Taffa in round number one. Uh, Taito Ivasa shockingly losing. Dan Hooker defeating Ally Quinta. But Adesanya and Whitaker, that was, that was one of the few fights I just used to watch that over and over and over again. Uh, Joanne, was it Joanne, Jayon Jacek and Michelle Warson at a main event? That's boring. Reyes and Weidman didn't watch that. Maya Askren didn't watch that. Masvidal and Diaz. Oh man, Dana, don't come for me. Don't come for me. But, um, I, uh, I, you know what, um... I, I may have watched this through a YouTube stream. I'm not gonna lie. You know what? I watched through, I watched through a YouTube stream. But uh, you know what? I've since watched it officially. Since Jorge Masvidal defeating Nate Diaz for the BMF belt, pretty interesting. Darren Till actually picked up his last win ever against Kelvin Gastelum on this card. Wonderboy defeated Vicente Luque. Derek Lewis beat Lukoyavinov. Kevin Lee had one of the craziest head kick knockouts of Gregor Gilsepe. Corey Anderson humbled Johnny Walker. Uh, Edmund Shabazian, crazy head kick of Brad Tavares. Jarzinho Rosenstrup knocking out Andre Arlovsky in 29 seconds. This was a fun card, but um, I just remember the main event being stopped too early. Following that, um, still was not really watching UFC too much. Uh, the last time the UFC was in Russia, Zabit versus Calvin Cater. And actually, Alexander Volkov took on Greg Hardy. Very, that, that, that is so... That is so random. Um, I actually think Junior, Junior Dos Santos was supposed to be in the main event against Volkanovski. Or not Volkanovski, Volkov, but I had to pull out of it. Greg Hardy stepped in, very interesting enough. And uh, instead, Zabit and Calvin Cater was moved to the main event. And it was only three rounds, though. Uh, close fight, though. Zabit won. Other, can they, other fighters on this card that are notable? Uh, Magomedan Kalaev knocked out Dolce Luciambula with a brutal head kick. You also had, uh, yeah, not much going on on this card now that I look at it. Then, Jan Blachowicz fought Jacare Souza, was still not too, not really paying too much attention. I mean, where, where, did, where did this card went down? This card went down in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Gosh, those back in the UFC used to just go anywhere all the time. Following that, Overeem and Rosenstruck, I've seen that clip so many times of Jarzinho knocking him out. One final punch to end the, end the fight. Absolutely crazy. But then, the f- the where I officially became a fan, when I where I officially started paying attention, you know, unofficially, UFC 245, Usman versus Covington. I was a, you know, I was really big into politics. Politics was big at the time, you know. It was like, oh, you know, you Trump or you Biden or whatever, you're you know, Republican, Democrat. And you know, I saw Kobe coming everywhere, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I like this guy. And he's talking all this trash. He's backing it up. So me and my mom, you know, I don't, I think my dad was out of town or something. Go to blow up Buffalo Wild Wings. And from, I believe it was Jeff Neal and Mike Perry, the final prelim, to the main event, Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington, watched every single fight. And I've never looked back. 
I've never looked back. This card was actually amazing. Um, on the early prelims, you had Brand Moreno beating Kaikara France. You had Punelli Soriano getting a win. Chase Hooper getting a win. You had Matt Brown getting a knockout win on the regular prelims. Um, but Jeff Neal destroying Mike Perry in a minute and a half. Super entertaining. Then Piotr Jan absolutely working your eye favor. That was wild. Marlon Marais defeating Jose Aldo. One of the worst decisions I've ever seen. Jose Aldo clearly won that fight. Terrible. And then I had to watch Amanda Nunes grapple Jermaine Durandamy into death for five straight rounds. So boring. I then had to watch Volkanovski and Max Holloway's first fight, which is their worst fight, might I add. It was so boring. You know, that is not a rewatchable fight. Close fight. It was super random, though. The, the, the scorecards were 48-47, 48-47, and 50-45. So two judges watched one fight, and another judge watched a completely different fight. And then we get to the main event. And then we get to the main event. And Kamaru Uzun versus Colby Covington. I'm torn. I'm torn because I like their second fight a lot. But this first fight may be my favorite welterweight fight of all time. Absolutely insane. The striking, just the battling. No no takedowns in this fight at all. And after watching two boring fights, this felt so rewarding. I left that night. A huge Kamaru Usman fan, a huge Colby Covington fan. It was absolutely immaculate. How about that word? Immaculate. And then to round out 2019, Frankie Edgar, the Korean zombie. And I remember I still did not know how UFC Fight Nights worked. And I went on to watch it and the fight had already happened. The fight had already happened because it went down at like four in the morning since the fight was in Busan, South Korea, which is which is absolutely hilarious. I, 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 found, I found that super funny. On that card, actually, on the prelims, they were the, these were the prelims. Cyril Gunn was on the prelims. Alexander Pantoja was on the prelims. Amanda Lemos was on the prelims. They all got wins. Main card, I mean, Charles Jordan and Duhu Choi. I've heard that is a super popular fight, super entertaining. And then the main event, Chan Sung Jung destroying Frankie Edgar. I've, uh, I watched that fight, you know, I rewatched that fight. And since then, I've just, I've watched every single fight. Since, since that fight, I've watched every single event, essentially. But um, that was my 2019 recap, you know. The only events I really caught live or somewhat live was uh, UFC 242, which I was at Buffalo Wild Wings. UFC 244, which I kind of, you know, watched through the phone. Um, UFC 245, which I watched at Buffalo Wild Wings. And then uh, UFC Fight Night, Edgar versus Korean Zombie, which I just uh, kind of watched on ESPN+. But yeah, throughout this whole year, 2019 was a pretty good year. I've watched a majority, majority of all the fights on here. So Hudo and Dillashaw, of course, kicking off the card. Uh, I've watched that so many times. Anderson Silva and Israel Asanya, UFC 234, one of the more uh, forgettable pay-per-views this year. Honestly, pay-per-views have gotten so much better. Ninganu knocking out Kane Velasquez, seen that a number of times. I've seen Tiago Santos knocking out Han Blachowicz. UFC 235, where it had back-to-back boring fights with uh, John Jones and Anthony Smith and Tyron Woodley and Kamaru Usman. Uh, Derek Lewis and uh, Junior Dos Santos, where it was kind of like a fake-out from Derek Lewis before he uh, gave in to a uh, body shot. Uh, Jorge Masvidal knocked out Darren Till, absolutely wild. Uh, Justin Gaethje knocked out Edson Barbosa. The war between Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier, their second fight. So many crazy good fights this year. Absolutely wild. Ally Quinta and Cowboy Donald Cerrone. I mean, Donald Cerrone had a pretty good year this year until Gaethje knocked him out. UFC 237, where Nama Yunez beat Jessica Andrade. That was pretty crazy. That was actually... The card actually had uh, Alexander Volkanovsky and Jared Kanier 
not in the main event. Pretty pretty fascinating stuff there. Zahudo being Marais to become double champion. That was pretty cool. Uh, Francis Ngannou. The last time the UFC was in Minnesota, Francis Ngannou knocked out Junior Dos Santos. I actually have the poster for this in my room. Josef Benavides got a finish on that card. Damian Maya was on this card. Drew Dober got a knockout punch on this card. This actually wasn't too bad of a card. Alonzo Menfield knocked out Paul Craig. Any other prelim fighters? Maurice Green, no longer in the UFC. Amanda Hebus, you know, not too many star powers, but seeing Francis Ngannou live would have been pretty, pretty cool. I was three months too late. Uh, Leon Edwards fought once this year. Max Holloway fought Frankie Edgar. Kobe Covington fought Lawler. Cormier and Jokic, too. I've seen that fight so many times. UFC 241. Nate Diaz and Anthony Pettis. Paulo Castagnolo Romero. One of the most debatable fights I've ever watched. I've watched that fight so many times, and I think one or the other person wins every other time. So, so, such an odd phenomenon. I don't even know what to call that. But, yeah, and then UFC 242, where I fell in love. Actually, it was, actually it was UFC 245, I'd say. Um, some notable fighters that were actually released or retired that year in 2019. BJ Penn was released. Brandon Moreno was actually released in February, but came back towards the end of the year. That's pretty cool. Cain Velasquez retired in October. Uh, actually, I hope he's doing well. Chris Cyborg was released in August. That was, that was That's actually pretty crazy. Think about that. That whole situation with Cyborg. George St. Pierre officially retired in February. He was only just holding on to the belt for the longest time, I think. Uh, any other? John Lineker was released that year. Still in UFC yeah, sports games. No idea how. Liz Caramuch was released. Uh, Nick Diaz retired in February. Nick Diaz will then come back, and we'll get to him on a future episode. Sergio Pettis signed with Bellator. That was one of the crazier acquisitions. Stefan Struve retired in February. He would actually come back for one last fight, where he would get knocked out by Tai Tuivasa. And, yeah, those are probably all the notable things that went down in 2019. It seemed like a pretty good year. 2019 seemed like a pretty good year. A lot of title fights. Um, to round this out, your new champions in 2019 was Henry Cejudo beat TJ Dillashaw. Or, no, actually, that was him defending his belt. Kamru Usman won the welterweight belt over Tyron Woodley. Um, Israel Asanya would win the interim belt over Kelvin Gastelum. Dustin Poirier would win the interim belt over Max Holloway. Jessica Andrade's slam finish of Rosami that's wild. Ooh, Valentina Shevchenko's head kick over Jessica I. That was pretty crazy. Zudo fishing, Marais. I mean, so many crazy things all throughout the year. But 2019 in the UFC, pretty fun year. 2020, I mean, as we go through 2020, 2021, 2022, even 2023, I'm going to be reminiscing so much about just where I was for specific parts of cards. So, um, you know, 2019, good place to end it. You know, I kind of came came into it in the final four months. So we'll see how a full year of review goes. Hopefully it doesn't wear out me voice too much but yes that's all we got for that so let's end this off with our final final thing to talk about here on the podcast a lot of ufc today i'm happy i'm happy i was able to come up with so much ufc stuff despite there not being an event that's always a rare occurrence but as we all know there is a massive massive game or two yes there are two games going down this sunday the nfl season winds down as we will find out what two teams will compete in the super bowl first game at two o'clock the chiefs will visit the ravens and then at 5 30 the lions will visit the 49ers of course my fantasy football league um, I will be rooting for Isaiah Pacheco, David Montgomery, Amon Ross St. Brown, Debo Samuel, Zay Flowers, George Kittle, uh, Ravens defense. I got a lot of players still left in there. 
My buddy Dane has Christian McCaffrey and Justin Tucker. Those are the only two players he has left. My buddy Landon, he's got Rasheed Rice, Gus Edwards, Patrick Mahomes, and my friend Tyler's got Lamar, Jameer Gibbs, Brandon Ayuk, Travis Kelsey, and Harrison Butker. I'm favoring Tyler to win, honestly. I think I'm currently losing. I'm in third right now. Landon's winning. He has 267.6 points. Tyler's in second with 260.91. I'm in third with 224.03, and Dan has 204.5. I'll be interesting to see what happens to that, but um, for my Family Picks League, I added a couple of fun stipulations for this one. So first off, five points for whoever wins, whoever picks the correct winner, three points for the closest score, and you also get a a bonus point if you get a question correctly. And those questions are um, who will be leading at halftime for both games, who will have the most passing yards out of all four teams, who will have the most rushing yards out of all teams, who will have the most turnovers out of all the teams, and who will have the most penalties out of all four teams. So we've got two things to break down, but you already know. I had to come in with some fun facts. I mean, I mean, of course, of course I had to figure out some fun facts to give uh, give everyone for the game. So we kick off with the Chiefs and the Ravens. It's been a big run for the Chiefs here. I mean, coming from the wild card where they beat the uh, they beat the Dolphins with ease, twenty six to seven. Last week, of course, close game against the Bills came down to a missed field goal. How about that? 49ers had a round one bye and then had a very close matchup against the Packers, 24-21. to Sneaked away with a win. Very, uh, very interesting. Oh, wait, no. What, what am I talking about? I'm, uh, I was already looking at the other number one seed. Uh, the Ravens, they had a bye and then blew out the Texans, 34-10. to There we go. That sounds familiar. Um, this AFC Championship game is the first time ever that there's been a matchup between uh, former MVP QBs under 30 years old. Of course, Mahomes has won the MVP award twice. Lamar has won it once. Pretty incredible. Mahomes, very good against the Ravens. Last four games against the Ravens in 2021, 343 yards, three touchdowns. 2020, 385 yards, five touchdowns. 2019, 374 yards, three touchdowns. And 2018, 377 yards and two touchdowns. So I find that I find that pretty, pretty immaculate of a stat. Patrick Mahomes knows how to handle this Ravens team, apparently. Um, Mahomes is actually the first QB with zero sacks or turnovers in three straight playoff games, dating back to last year's Super Bowl. Um, unfortunately for him, the Ravens led the league this year in both um, sacks and turnovers, so Mahomes might be in for a rude awakening against this Baltimore defense. We'll see what happens. Um, there is this thing called the Josh Allen curse, where uh, no team who's beaten the Bills in the playoffs has gone on to win their next game. The 2019 Texans uh, beat them and then lost in the divisional round. The 2020 Chiefs beat them to go to the Super Bowl and then lost the Super Bowl. 2021 Chiefs beat them in the divisional round, then lost in the AFC Championship. And last year, the Bengals lost to them in the their, uh, lost to the, uh, who is it? They beat the Bills in the divisional round and then lost in the AFC Championship game to the Chiefs, actually. So just uh, some interesting, some food for thought, if you will. If I give my opinion on this matchup, it is so close. I think the I think the NFL really wants the Chiefs to win. The fans want the Ravens to win. And it just kind of boils down to what you're going to see. I mean, Chiefs kind of got lucky with the Bills game. Meanwhile, the Ravens handled the Texans accordingly. But I've seen a number of times a team blowing out another team and a team in a close matchup, and then it's just not the same game you see. Um... This is kind of a tough one to predict, if I'm being honest. 
because a part of me just thinks the Chiefs are going to win. A part of me wants the Ravens to win. So if if I am going to give my official prediction, if I'm going to give my official official prediction, I hope the Ravens win, but I'm picking the Chiefs. I'm picking the Chiefs to win. Final score, 33-18. to 18. I actually did play this in Madden, and that was the final score. I played this game in Madden a couple of times. Both teams have won. I mean, it just it is so, so close. It is so close. And you have your MVP, Lamar. We all know how good Mahomes is. I mean, but just look at historically how Mahomes has done against the Ravens. You know, I do think there's a string of luck this year. And I don't know if the Ravens are too good to be true. But the Chiefs might just be that freaking good. I uh, I really hope for the Ravens win. I'll be rooting for them. But on this pick sheet, I'm picking the Chiefs 33-18. to 18. And for most passing yards out of all the teams, give me the Chiefs. I think Mahomes throws for the most yards, does, does it best. Now, leading at halftime, I think the Ravens will be up at halftime. Maybe by a field goal, maybe by a touchdown. And then something clicks in the second half for this Chiefs team. Plus, as we all know, Mahomes had not won a playoff game on the road. He managed to beat the Bills. I don't think he'll have too much trouble in Baltimore. Our second game of the day, the Lions visit the 49ers. And, oh, man, that's going to be good. Jared Goff and Brock Purdy uh, both ranked top five in passing yards and touchdowns this year. Goff was second in passing yards with 4,575. Uh, Purdy was uh, fourth with, um, or no, he was fifth with 4,280. Touchdowns, Goff was fourth with 30 touchdowns. Purdy was third with 31 touchdowns for the regular season. Purdy, you know, yeah, he had an interesting game last week. I'll say that for sure. Uh, actually, this is a very interesting stat. Debo Samuel, when they, uh, the 49ers do historically better when Debo is playing. Debo did go out and was hurt. That was kind of tough. Brock Purdy, 252 yards and a touchdown last week. 23 of 39 completions Christian McCaffrey an absolute dog um Christian McCaffrey um this is actually an interesting stat for the rushing game the Lions were the only team to not allow a running back to rush for 70 yards this season McCaffrey has now done that 12 times including last uh, week's uh, divisional round game so I think if the Lions can stop the run they might be able to have success but the backfield of the Lions is just not good it is not good I mean they allowed Baker to throw for 349 yards. Sure, they picked him off two times, but I mean, come on, Lions. Come on. I mean, how many yards did Matthew Stafford get against this Lions team? That's another good point to point out. Another good stat to point out. If I can find this game, you know, if if it allows me to click on it. I swear, I swear the internet just be so stingy sometimes. Uh okay, I just do not think we're gonna be able to get this game. I'm trying to Try to just click on the game between the Lions and the Rams. There we go. Matthew Stafford threw for 367 yards. So the these QBs are torching, are torching the backfield. I think the 49ers capitalize on this, probably put up a lot of passing yards. And actually, honestly, the Brock Purdy might be my favorite to uh, get more the most passing yards, but I don't see him as someone throwing for like 400 yards. So it'll come down to kind of who can stop who. We all know how good the Lions are. I mean, they've got amazing rookies. Dave Montgomery's good. Jared Goff's good. Samara St. Brown's good. But, man, I don't know. This, is, this will be pretty interesting. I'm probably going to go with the 49ers right now, 24-20. to 20. But if Debo is not playing, I'm probably going to change my pick to the Lions. So as of right now, 49ers 24-20. But we'll see. Uh, whoa. I think this game will be tied at halftime. 
I'm feeling 13-13. I'm feeling 10-10, 17-17. I think it'll be tied heading into halftime. Um, rushing yards, I see the Lions rushing a lot in this game. I think the Lions are going to have the most rushing yards out of all four teams. I see them just not doing too well in the throwing department. I think the 49ers have just have an amazing, amazing defense overall. But I'm going with the Lions for the most rushing yards. Most penalties, I think the Lions. I think the Lions might even be doing pretty good at times. And they, the NFL might want the 49ers in. I don't know, Lions-Ravens Super Bowl, I think is very... That's the Super Bowl I want. The Super Bowl I think we're going to get is Chiefs and 49ers. Passing yards for uh, all, all uh, QBs. It's actually a fun fact. Um, Goss is pa- Goff has passed for over uh, 300 yards five times all season. Last time he did was Week 18 against Minnesota. Lamar has done it three times over 300 yards. Last was Week 18 against the Dolphins. Purdy has done it five times over uh, 300 this year. His last was Week 15 against the Seahawks. And Patrick Holmes has done it four times this season, including one of those times he threw for 400, which was in Week 16 against the Raiders. Penalties-wise this season, Ravens had 102 penalties called on them this year. 49ers had 101, Lions 97, and Chiefs 96. So I'll be very interested to see who gets the most penalties called on them. I'm, I'm seeing Lions, but you know, that's just speculation. Turnovers, Chiefs had 28 all season, Lions 23, Ravens 19, and the 49ers with 18. I think the Ravens have the most turnovers. I see some fumbles. I see some picks. I see some slip-ups from this Ravens team when the game is on the line. So, yeah, we got some, uh, we're going with Chiefs and 49ers. We're rooting for Ravens and Lions, but I'm, uh, I'm going to pick with the stats instead of picking with my heart. Now, I will lie. If I see Debo's out, I'm immediately texting my group chats saying, yo, guys, I'm changing my picks, but we'll see what happens. I, really, I Honestly, a Lions-Chiefs Super Bowl would be pretty cool. The first game to open up the season, the last uh, game to end it. I, I really like that storyline, so maybe I'll switch the Lions. But as for now, we are going to ride with the 49ers. I, just, they just seem too good to fail, honestly. They just seem too good to fail. We've seen better teams lose when it all comes down to the end. So, yes, those will be fun games going down this weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all I got for this episode. This was a fun one. A lot of UFC talk. A lot of stuff going down. I'm excited for uh, the weekend. Going to be a good time. Good, uh, good, good vibes all around. See the family. Watch some football. And then, yep, back to it next week. A lot of homework this year. A lot of homework. Very, very busy trying to figure out some side hustles to do. You know me. I'm always trying to stay active. Alrighty, everyone. I'll catch you guys next uh, next week. Monday, we'll be back with um, my review of the conference games. We'll be going over uh, my UFC 2020 experience. And actually, we're going to have a segment of every UFC champion's ch- chances of becoming a double champion in the UFC. A lot of fun stuff. Everyone stay safe this weekend. Stay blessed. I'll catch you next time on the Surprise Jab Podcast.